Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zatgeist. I'm your host, Zatgeist. My podcast channel is dedicated to exploring ways of being in the world that brings us as human beings into harmony with ourselves, community, the living planet, and hopefully to something numinous. My hope is that by listening to this podcast, you will discover other people, ideas, practices, and states of being that could potentially transform your life. My intention is that what you will hear and learn will contribute in some way towards living a life less controlled by dogma that is instead guided by love, beauty, and compassion for all living beings. This channel is sponsored by one of my companies, Student Loan Tutor, where we help liberate our clients from debt so that they could share their gifts more freely with the world. In this particular episode, I speak with Trisha Eastman, who is a medicine woman who works with the oniophrenic Iboga to realize healing by exploring states of consciousness that often defy what modern medicine believes is possible. I speak about my personal struggles with addiction, induced by a lifetime of what I didn't know then was trauma, and how Iboga and Ibogaine helped cure me from that addiction that became, and it became an initiation into a new way of living in the world. I hope you enjoy this podcast. And if you do, and if you'd like to help the show out, please share this episode with anyone you know that suffers from addiction. And of course, give us a rating and a review in iTunes. It helps a great deal in helping us spread awareness on these important topics. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zeitgeist. I'm your host, Zeitgeist, and uh, today I'm with, uh, here with Trisha Eastman. Uh, Trisha is a pioneer and respected voice. I'm reading her bio right now. I haven't read it out loud yet, but Trisha Eastman is a pioneer and respected voice in the world of psychedelics. For nearly 20 years, she has consulted for top destinations, spa, and retreat centers on, uh, on novel treatments and best practices. As a medicine woman operating internationally, as founder of the leading transformational retreat platform, Psychedelic Journeys. She, cre- she curates medicine retreats in countries where use is legal. Her retreats bring together top thought leaders in destinations like Tulum, Ibiza, Costa Rica, and Portugal. She is an experienced ceremonial facilitator of 5-MAO, D- 5-MEO DMT, a powerful psychedelic medicine from the Sonoran Desert Toad. As an Iboga provider, Eastman has been initiated into the, I'm going to maybe butcher this, Mumbumba. Iyano tradition, trained in the Misoko tradition, and she has facilitated the psycho-spiritual Iboga program for Crossroads Treatment Center in Mexico. Over the last five years, East, uh, uh, Trisha Eastman has supported over 1,500 people through powerful medicine experiences, including celebrities, political leaders, and even the Navy SEALs. Uh, welcome to the show, Trisha. Hi, Zach. How are you? How are Thank you? you so much. What an introduction. I really appreciate being on the show, and we've been talking for a while, and so now we get to create magic. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you about, uh, uh, mostly I'm really excited to talk about Iboga and your work with Iboga, because that was the beginning or an initiation process for me. Uh, I wasn't fortunate or blessed enough to work with uh, someone as experienced as you with the medicine. Uh, <clears throat> however, even uh, in spite of the total shit show that I had to go through in order to take the aboga and the total disorganization and lack of professionalism and lack of ceremony, uh, the medicine and my soul, I guess, uh, were somehow able to still weave together an initiatory, an initiation, initiatory experience for me. So for that, I'm really grateful. 
Uh, but I wanted to touch with you. What is a boga for people that don't know and have never heard of that before? Because it's definitely people are hearing about you know mushrooms and psilocy- you know psilocybin mushrooms and LSD, and maybe people have heard of MDMA as ecstasy. I had Ben Sessa, MD. Uh, who had that famous TED talk on MDMA on the show a while back, talking about MDMA and the healing of trauma. But what is a boga? What is it used for? Where do they use it? Well, first of all, um, Ben is incredible. He is he he does he does great work, and I know that he's also pretty knowledgeable on um, abogaine, which um, is one of the alkaloids in iboga. So iboga is a bushy plant. Um, that um, contains a, some psychoactive uh, alkaloids in it that is native to uh, equatorial Africa in a country called Gabon as well as um, outside of Gabon um, in, in the Congo. And it's a very sensitive plant in that it, it typically can only do well in that region due to the high amounts of rainfall and um, does really well in um, like a sea level environment, which uh, Gabon is is right at sea level. And this plant is used um, in initiatory uh, traditions that you know date back to time immemorial. It's uh, used by the by the Buiti tradition, and the Buiti tradition um, breaks into many different sects. So. Um, just like, you know, we have different types of Christianity or different types of um, Catholicism. Um, there's, you know, many branches within Buiti and uh, one of the, you know, there's more of a traditional branch of Buiti, which is more like the Buiti from the jungle. And then there's a branch of Buiti that is um, actually an offspring of uh, offshoot from uh, Christianity. It's like emerging. Wow, Christianity got in there too, even with working with the boga and everything. Yeah, and and so wow, wow. So in in the Buiti tradition, the Buiti believe that this plant um, needs to be used in the context of ritual because the purpose of this plant which I think is the most important thing, is that it's, it's designed to connect you to the ancestral realm, to the spirit world, and to your ancestors, your lineage. And so there are certain protections and rituals um, that, that are um, designed to protect you um, and to ensure that you come back with your sanity, of course, because it can be a, a, an interesting journey. Um, the plan itself is just. Uh... I want to touch on this idea because I feel like you just said something like very matter of factly. It connects you with your ancestors and you meet your ancestors and you use the word journey that we hear so often these days. And I think people are picturing a psychedelic and maybe you're, you know, a ma- you know feeling your ancestors might be present and it gives you that warm feeling or something. But I think, I mean, I've taken a bogus, uh, so I, I, I think that maybe people are missing that are listening, that no, 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 you really do see your ancestors. They are there as, as beings speaking to you, things that you aren't, you know, uh, expecting them maybe to say, and uh, meeting other people and seeing them right there. And it is not, uh, I think a lot of people think a boga is a, is a psychedelic. They say, oh, yeah, 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 I've done ayahuasca or I've done this. And, you know, yeah, boga, that's like another, 
you know, version of that or something. And maybe you want to touch on that because this is some a distinction I always thought until I actually saw your uh, uh, a video that you had posted just recently. And this is what caused me to reach out to you to have you on the show, even though we knew each other. Uh, is that I always thought that iboga was a psychedelic, but it's not. And I wanted to know if you could touch on that. Yes. Yeah, so it's um, what's called an onirophrenic. And oniros means dream. It's a Greek word for dream. And so really what it's doing is, is it's um, similar to that idea of being in that state in between the waking world and the dream world. It puts you into that state where you engage directly with the subconscious mind and the ancestral realm. And um, what's really powerful about you know, this, this idea of, of meeting the ancestors, it's, it's very similar to the movie Black Panther, if you remember the scene where he goes and he, he speaks to his father, his deceased father. Um, it, it's such a potent healing experience. And interestingly, um, sometimes your ancestors in the ancestral realm look different. Um, you know, they might be like, like take on a different form and you, you know, run into this little guy and, you know, he looks and, and you're like, hey, um, nice to meet you. What's your name? And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm Grandpa Pete. And you're like, Grandpa Pete, it's you. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. This is similar experiences that I've had in lucid dreams where you know something uh, to be someone. I mean, you could have an experience where uh, a person that you knew and were close with is a cat or a bird or, you know, a sprocket in a machine. And you know, absolutely, I know Michael Pollan's book, he's talked about when he had had this, this deeply profound experience of knowing that the trees were his parents and just knowing, having this deep knowing. Uh, and I think that Maybe that's a little bit different where you could have this, this kind of maybe what I was touching with a psychedelic, you could have this feeling like it's a deep knowing that those trees are your parents. But on a boga, you're actually looking at your parents who may be, you know, maybe this grandpa Pete, for example, could be this little, this little fairy, you know, and, uh, and, and you're like, how is, you know, but you, it, it all makes sense somehow. And there's deep wisdom imparted and even deep wisdom, it appears, present in the form that they come to you in. It's almost like uh, Carl Jung, the famous uh, Swiss psychologist, when he would do the, what's called active imagination, he actually ended up meeting his soul because he wanted to meet his soul. And he, you know, a lot of people consider him a mystic. And uh, when he met his soul, his soul was a little girl. And he said, well, what, do, what can I possibly learn from this little girl? And it was the most humbling experience. She humbled him. And he, this is where he discovered what he called the anima. Anima coming from animate, from uh, something being like uh, 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 most cultures, especially indigenous cultures, believe that there's life and beingness in matter. Like there's, no, there's, there's not this separation between matter and spirit. And that's the whole matriarchal view as well. Yeah. So I guess the, the question I have is, uh, does every experience these deep, profound experiences on, on Ibogaine or on Iboga when there's this ritual component involved? You know, I think that, you know, in our Western culture, we get very um, attached to a certain type of experience or we read about something and we want to have that experience. I see that a lot with, um, you know, my work with 5-MeO-DMT. And I feel that there is 
Um, definitely some things that are common themes, but in terms of, you know, setting yourself up for expectations, it's, it's very hard to have a set expectation because really, you know, you're going to come into the work, you're going to sit down with, you know, if you're in Gabon, a ganga, which is a traditional healer, and uh, they are going to um, ask you what you came for. And you're going to have intentions. You're going to discuss your intentions. Usually, you know, it might have to do with personal development or knowing your purpose, healing your body. Maybe there's some kind of physical illness that you have. And it really depends on the intentions that you come in with, whether it's going to uh, take you on this journey or whether it's it might just physically work on your body. You might just be kind of in this cocoon of healing where literally the most, you know, in my opinion, skillful doctor of the universe is going in and decalcifying, you know, your body and getting all the channels moving and clearing trauma out of the body. So... People have had an experience where they've cured diseases. I mean, the aboga, somehow the spirits that are able to access the body through the, the gateway that's open through aboga. I know for your partner, uh, you, maybe you want to talk about what healing has happened for him. Her partner is also a PhD psychologist and researcher uh, with the MAPS uh, MDMA protocol, also initiated, uh, as is Trisha. Uh, with the Bawidi tribe, uh, with the Bawidi people, and in this tradition of of working with the boga as a ceremonial healer, so uh, he had a deep healing experience. I want to know if you want to touch yeah, on. Yeah, I'll give a brief. You know, I don't want to speak for him, but I'll give you a brief, a brief. Um, you know, he he suffered for fifteen years, um, and uh, just you know had had struggles just getting out of bed every day. And um, he did about five journeys total where at, after the fifth one, he really saw a breakthrough in terms of the physical symptoms of the Lyme disease. And, you know, there's many other people who have come um, to this work with chronic illnesses, whether it's um, Crohn's, Lyme disease, um, you know, many other chronic deep inflammatory conditions where um, the medicine has really been able to get in. And I really believe a lot of these conditions, although they may have manifested in the physical as a sickness or a disease or even a virus, that there's mm -hmm. underlying like deep mm -hmm. ancestral trauma connected to it, just like the addiction, you know, and if you look at it in um, you know, the, the way that any shamanic lineage would look at illness, they're always going to say it starts with something emotional or ancestral. And they're, they're looking at that lens versus like in our culture, we like to kind of, um, in, in the modern medical culture, we, we have this reductionist view of like, oh, they have this particular illness and you take this pill or you do this treatment. And more and more ever has it been, um, part of our society where I'm seeing so many people with just chronic immune system, uh, immune um, system issues. And, and I really think it's linked to not just the collective trauma that's been building up for so many generations that we've never healed collectively, but it's also just the toxic environment that we're living in. And we can you know, look at that from the context of GMOs, fluoridated water, pollution, 
Um, you know, the toxic uh, heavy metals and things in the ocean, in the foods that we eat, um, all of it, you know, is, is all compounding. And I think that, um, you know, we're all... Yeah, it's hard to even tell cause and effect because we're swimming in a cesspool of, of a separation between the human body and... Well, it's not even a separation. That's not even accurate. Uh, the human body is not separated from nature and human sick nature is polluting nature around us, which then in turn automatically by default pollutes us. And then we were dealing with a time during COVID where in order to protect ourselves from the world that we're polluting and from other people, we're like shielding ourselves even further. It was during my aboga experience that I had like felt that I was being put in a capsule to stay alive forever. And that my, uh, I would be eternal in this capsule, kind of like a vampire, but every day and every moment would be the most terrible moment of my life but I would be alive forever and all I wanted to do was die. And I, and I see as our culture is moving in this direction that uh, essentially it's the war against death. Uh, it's the idea that uh, the human ego or the human organism could somehow exist forever in perfect control in the battle against entropy. Uh, I mean, if you read any of like Steven Pinker's a famous psychologist and he says, you know, our goal as human species is to fight against entropy and the goal is this idea of enlightenment and that somehow through te technology, uh, we could somehow build better lives and, you know, kind of go again. We're battling against the cruel, faceless nature, a uh, uh, faceless uh, being of nature that will just devour us like the, it's the, essentially the patriarchy is scared, afraid of the matriarchy because the, the matriarch is the woman, this, this womb and this deeper connected intelligence uh, that also needs the masculine as well. There's the, and there's the feminine also in every man. A lot of men, I think, are afraid to adopt that feminine nature within themselves, and they become very rigid and, have to, and by, by that very definition, have to control everything. And it's greater and greater. We're looking at the greatest degree of control. Like our entire economic system is collapsed, you know, worldwide pretty much, and everybody's in their house if they ever leave, they're using gloves uh, and shipping things to their door. I mean, we are as separate as we could possibly get at this point in time. I mean, that's not true. We could get way more separate, which is actually frightening, which I think was one of the visions that Iboga showed me is that it could get all sorts of levels of separate where you were alone in a capsule trying to stay alive like Darth Vader uh, for all eternity. And a lot of people would sign up for that if they could. They would say, you know, I'm afraid of this death. They don't have any connection with this other world. There are no ancestors that are alive that could talk to them. There, are, there is no soul. Most people believe that there is no soul. Even most people that are, you know, consider themselves religious. You know, they say that there's a soul, but if you look at the way that they act, they act as though there is no soul because they're not following their soul. They're following a book or somebody else's ideas uh, because they're afraid that once they die, that there won't be anything. At least that's my experience anyway. That's what I, that's what I see when people do that. Binary way of thinking, this idea of it's either A or B, it's either darkness or light, it's either entropy or enlightenment. And um, if you really look at, you know, the way that we've, we've made things in our world, um, it's, it's basically because we're not recognizing life that we're experiencing entropy because it's not you know, this linear thing or this A or B kind of situation. It, the universe works in spirals and cycles and it's our own um, 
lack of acknowledgement of the cycles of life in the universe that have put us into this place. And the medicine, from my experience, especially boga, has really just been a teacher to really understand the universal principles of the universe where we do have to look at things from a binary perspective isn't actually um, an A or B type of thing. It's more of this idea of the wheel of karma and really coming into a center point, a place of balance. So a place between the masculine and the feminine, a blending of both, and that also between um, ourself and the other in all relationships, whether it's our enemy, our life partner, our friend, and um, we just need to um, really start um, re-educating ourselves. And I think the psychedelics really bring that gift because the soulless individual or the individual that doesn't believe in the soul, they get caught up in you know this this fear of death and that fear of death comes into this scarcity of not enoughness and the scarcity is the main issue why we're having all the problems we have in the world not enough money not enough time you know everything it, it, we don't have enough of and the moreness constantly needing more 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 creates that hungry ghost that is what is the source of all the plastic in our ocean, all of the, you know, a lot of the global problems that we're experiencing. And the truth is that when we start to come into that equanimity, when we start to come into that balance, um, we will see that there is enough for everybody, that there is enough for all humans to live in in um, harmony together. And it's not this like utopian fantasy. I mean, it's it's a real thing because when we respect the planet and we all work as stewards of uh, our home, which is this planet, then uh, naturally it, 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 it expands its capacity to support us too. And ultimately, um, the only way that we're gonna do that is through initiation because through initiation um, you enter into the part of yourself that um, is running away from all of those things, which is really what creates this drive of the hungry ghost. The hungry ghost metaphor is powerful. I know I, I remember reading Gabor Mate's book in the realm of hunger yes. about addiction. That's actually what led me uh, to, <clears throat> to a boga was addiction. Uh, I remember the first time I had alcohol and like, oh my gosh, I could finally think I could finally relax. Like I felt so calm. And uh, I mean, I was born in 1980. So you know, it was normal for parents to smoke and drink alcohol while they were pregnant. As a matter of fact, my mom's doctor said, yeah, don't quit drinking, don't quit smoking, it'll shock your body too much. And uh, so she, I mean, when I was born, my mom was actually, I was C-section and I was a month late <clears throat> and she was smoking a cigarette when I was born and she drank, you know, every day while, I, while she was pregnant. And so uh, it was really no accident that when I first started smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol, I felt really at home. I felt at home in that experience. And I think this comes back to ancestral trauma is that my mom drank and smoked, you know, my father drank and smoked, his parents drank and smoked. And this trauma, and as Carl Jung talks about, is whatever healing the parents don't do, that gets passed on to the child. 
and our role essentially as as human beings in this life like whatever that belief is why we're incarnated here we are so it doesn't really matter why right now i mean maybe our life is part of that discovery of why we're here uh discovering our gifts by learning what our wounds are and our gifts begin begin to flower from our wounds in a way and um for me uh addiction is what sent me into the initiation my life became so unmanageable that i i couldn't do it and I, it wasn't unmanageable in the sense that i was homeless on the street i was actually running a very successful corporation uh by the terms of what is considered successful i mean i hated what i did i was working 16 hours a day i couldn't sleep i had insomnia i had to take things to wake me up in the morning i had to take things to go to sleep at night i had almost exclusively nightmares and when i'd wake up from a nightmare i actually would want to go back into sleep into the nightmare because it was more comfortable because at least it was more interesting than the nightmare that was my life and it wasn't like my my life was a nightmare like it was when i was you know in my teenage years which if i tell you those stories it was also a really big nightmare it was a worse nightmare in the sense that i was told that this was everybody around me was saying you are a success you are a success so in my mind i'm like shit i'm a success and i'm miserable if i lose this anything that i have uh then i am going to be even more miserable than i am and i became i think in a sense a hungry ghost even for the things that i had that weren't making me happy cuz i i didn't have an identity i didn't have a connection with soul uh, as a matter of fact i was pretty convinced at that point that there weren't there was no soul that life was about enjoying whatever you can while you're here until you die and don't do shitty things to people not because you feel a deep connection to them but just because that's an asshole thing to do and then if everybody did shitty things then the whole world would be shit so kind of almost felt like i had the moral compass of dexter or something and uh here here i am uh but underneath it was i think was my soul crying and in order to keep my soul at bay we had to, i had personally i had to numb you know with whatever numbing mechanism i could find and uh and aboga which i think a lot of people that might not be familiar with is uh kind of heralded as this cure for addiction and this cure for opiate addiction to the extent and this is anybody that's been through opiate addiction that's listening to this uh this might blow their mind and anybody that hasn't uh when you're in opiate withdrawal especially if you're a long-term opiate ad- uh, addict you will want to kill yourself like if you are not constantly almost every moment contemplating how you could either crawl out of your skin or end it all uh you are not experiencing opiate withdrawal that's how bad it is you want to crawl outside of your body you almost i heard that some rock stars used to uh go on binders of opiates and then they would have a doctor put them in a coma like in under unconscious for a week so that they could get through the withdrawals that's how bad it is but aboga has the uh, the power somehow through some miracle work is that somebody could be taking opiates for 20 30 years and this is how it was discovered quote unquote in the west is somebody was taking opiates for 20 30 years in an extreme withdrawal and somebody gave him the, and gave him some ibogaine or aboga i think at the time it was just aboga said just take this and he was so desperate he would take anything to not feel this feeling and and he took the aboga i forget the guy's name he wrote a book about it and a and a procedure and kind of brought aboga to the west uh and the withdrawal stopped immediately as though he had taken opiates but he didn't feel the the opiate euphoria he felt that not just a moment of clarity he felt just totally clear like he'd never remember feeling and then of course that was the the prequel 
to uh, about 48 hours of a very wild ride. Uh, I want to know if you could touch a little bit on op- uh, Ibogaine's, uh, how it cures opiate addiction or how it's being used for that right now. Tricia? Yeah, so, um, you know, a few things that I want to speak to is, first of all, the opiate addiction crisis is um, it's just staggering in our country. And the success rate of um, Abogaine for opiate detox is so powerful. It just really makes me wonder, like, who's in charge? The fact that yeah. there's yeah. nothing being done about this. Um, you know, we can go into it's a fucking, whole It's fucking bullshit. It's bullshit that there's a cure for opiate addiction. There's signs all over the fucking place. And excuse my language, but if you've been through opiate withdrawal, it's fucking hell on earth. And there are signs, you know, Naxalone cures and big billboards all over Salt Lake City and all over Utah because it's like, an, they say, opiodemic, they're, you know, you know, there's no cure. There's a fucking cure, and every and there's and many medical doctors know about this. And there's a, a boga. I mean, there's this podcast. This is a public podcast. You're talking about it. Tons of people. There's a total cure, and it's a boga. It's a total cure for opiate addiction. And I'm and I'm so pissed off that everybody pretends that there is no cure for it. Anyways, I'm really passionate about that. Yes, I, I appreciate your passion because I really think that it is important and. You know, I'll just speak from my experience. Um, You know, I don't work specifically with opiate addiction because there's a lot of medical contra, you know, like indications and things. It's a very complex situation and you're working with someone who could potentially do things that could potentially be self-destructive and um, it's it's a huge liability. Um, But there are some really great clinics out there that, um, you know, are really run by angels that are that are doing this work, taking that risk. Um, but I will tell you from my experience being in the, the clinics and being around people who have released the energies connected with the addiction, because there's an energy, there's almost like a dark entity connected to it. That's what, you know, if you talk to like a, a, a ganga, they would say like this, you know, this like almost like a, like it's an entity or like a dark energy. And it's really heavy. It's really dark. Um, I even know someone who worked with someone who uh, worked with someone who was in addiction, and they said that there was a cat around, and the cat like picked up some of the energy and died. You know, like it's oh, like wow. that heavy of an energy, and I won't get too much into that. I mean, we don't really know for sure, but. But I'm, it, it's yeah. it's some pretty heavy energy. It's not something you necessarily, um, you know. It, it it's a big a big thing to take on. It's like some dragon slaying. Um, and so the people that are um, dealing with that, I have just a great deal of compassion for them, and also a lot of um, you know just like honor for their bravery to be able to face that part of themselves. And I'll also say that. Um, the journey with Abogaine is not easy. You actually have to face all the things that you've been running away from in the addiction. Um, and so it can be a grueling time and it can be physically painful. And I mean, I've seen, you know, in my experience, like at the clinic, I've only witnessed like one really crazy detox. And that was, you know, when I was training, I guess you could say. Um, and the person just like, just, I remember like, 
like them looking up and just like purging and just having these like crazy bloodshot eyes and just being like just seeing the energy that was you know being released and being like man I wouldn't I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy I mean it's pretty gnarly having to go through that detox process I'm sure better than uh, and sometimes people have a really graceful journey um but I want to get back to really what the purpose is of um, Iboga from a metaphysical standpoint and what the Bwiti believe. And that is that um, the Bwiti believe that when you are working in ceremony, in the Bwiti, and when you come for initiation, uh, that you're given a chance, you're given an opportunity. Like this is a, this is a gift from the universe. This is grace. This is, you know, whoever's in charge, whatever, if you want to say it's like, you know, source consciousness, great spirit, whatever you believe um, is giving you a chance. The fact that you're there, that you're working and the way that they approach it is, you know, they go into these, uh, in, in initiation, you, you do these deep, um, like purification rituals and you're thorough because you're just like, I've been given this chance. I've been given this chance. Um, and what the medicine does like on a metaphysical level is it, we, we store all of our ignorance in our body. So every time we make a bad choice, if it's like shooting heroin up or if it's lying to somebody or if it's stealing something or, you know, most of the bad choices we make are about how we treat ourselves, like our negative self-talk and, you know, judgment and criticism. Whatever those things are, those are all stored in our body. And the medicine is literally going in and it's like decalcifying all of that. It's like cleaning that out. So when yeah, there's, yeah, there's no past. The past lives on in our body. Like our body is the past. That's every bit of us that we've done. It's, it's there. And even ancestral, like our epigenetics is even showing that. It's, it's traveling in our past. Our ancestors are, I mean, you have this 23andMe and all this. Like they're able to look and see where you're from and where you've been like centuries and centuries back. And uh, I mean, this isn't some like, you know, mystical. It is mystical, but it's also here's the here's the paradox. But it's also showing up in our very boring science that our past is not the past. It's in us. Yeah, so I just wanted to point to yeah, that. We keep, we keep the record. It's stored in our DNA. Our DNA is, is the Akashic record. So they, you know, it, it, it's, it's storing everything. I mean, I had a DNA test and I found a site where they don't, you know, sell your data to pharmaceutical companies. And one of my, one of my um, markers came back and it said, you have a rare form of um, genetic uh, combination that has a negative reaction uh, to smoking cannabis. Huh. I'm like, how do they know that? And I was like, I, I don't actually do very well with cannabis, surprisingly. Uh, I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'm like, I had no idea that would be in my, my gene report. So, you know, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of things, but, but what the, um, what this medicine is doing is it's going in and it's cleaning all of that out. And so the more, that when you go and you you uh, go into initiation, I'm speaking from the context of initiation, not from the context of detox. Uh, you you get this one chance to really get yourself as clean as possible, and then 
you get to experience your authentic self. So that level of clarity that you experienced after you um, came out of your capsule, your your death mm-hmm. capsule, you you really were like, wow, how am I so clear? How am I so present? How is it that there's no there's so much space in here? There's no negative voices. That mm-hmm. is a side effect of the work that you did. All that that cleansing. Um, created that space, and so you know we 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 have that chip that chance to do that. And um, I do want to speak too because you know here we are talking about this you know miracle thing cure all, and I think it's really important to also acknowledge that this plant is an endangered plant. I want to I want to make note to that and make note that most of the synthetic abogaine is now made from another plant that's native to Africa called Volkanga africana or Volkanja, you know, I I've, I've heard it pronounced both ways. Um and that plant has a alkaloid in it called Volkangaline and Volkangaline is um, just two oxygen molecules off from abogaine. And abogaine is the alkaloid that basically resets the opiate, uh, kappa opioid receptors. And so um, when you, this plant is so sophisticated, it cannot be synthesized, but it can be, um, you know, taken from this other plant and then semi, semi, it's a semi-synthesis. So because because those two oxygen are being and that's the sustainable way to work with the medicine. If we want to cure the opioid crisis, we need to really look at that because um, we definitely want to make sure that the plant that there's enough for the tribes that have been using this for aeons that, you know, really. That's part of their part of their religion, part of their culture, part of their. And again, it's not part of. Uh, I'm not even using the correct language. It is them. Their ceremony and their their initiatory process is their being. It is part of them like their head is part of them, like their leg is part of them. Uh, It is that part, that much part of them. It actually may be more part of them than their body or their head because it's more eternal. And it speaks to another reality, which I think we were talking about yesterday, which is, uh, the daimonic reality, not demonic, but daimonic, coming from the word daimon, which is Greek, which is the idea of the realm in which the soul and the gods or God lives. And uh, that's the uh, eternal eternal realm, uh, a realm that where truth lies, because truth is underlying and it seeps up from moment to moment. A lot of people say that we live in a post-truth era, but so you can't live in a post-truth. It's not possible. Like, uh, it might be people are full of shit everywhere, uh, both literally and figuratively, uh, and lying. Uh, however, truth is still there, and the lies reflect the the very fact that you could see that there are lies. That feeling and that that noticing is that truth, and it sounds paradoxical. And we were talking about the, the what paradox mean. It means. Uh, paradox, actually, the etymology of it is opposite of uh, opposite of opinion or not in alignment uh, with opinion. Essentially, it, it's of a different reality uh, that our language in the moment struggles to point to. But the truth is still there, even if the words and the language isn't. And we feel that it's uh, it's teasing us into a new way of being. And uh, 
I find that Iboga, when I when I was under the ceremony that it took me on one. I, I I mean I there was no preparation for this. It's basically like if you don't do it now, you're gonna not be able to do it. Here's your bed that you're in, and here you're in an IV, and it was somebody screaming in the other room. I was not coming off of opiates. I had come off of opiates on my own, uh, and not nothing against people that are not able to. Uh, I was also taking a very small amount and using oxycodone and not heroin. I've never done heroin. I never allowed that to happen. Uh, but uh, other people are not so lucky. They end up, you know, they can't afford op- uh, oxycodone one time and it turns into a hero- heroin addiction and then you don't know what you're getting and you get into different crowds and it becomes, it takes a side turn. I never went there, thank goodness. Uh, but I do remember being under this experience and one of the first things that happened is I was transported just as real as I'm talking you, to you right now to what seemed like Africa around a fire and at night with cold wind blowing against my skin. At the same time, knowing that I'm lying in a bed in Mexico. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting here going, what? Or, you know, I'm standing there and then eventually sitting there going, this is absolutely a technology that all of the quote unquote authorities of thought leaders and knowledge are not aware of. Like, like the fact that I am experiencing this, like I have to take almost everything that they say is possible and what the nature of reality is with a grain of salt. Uh, because the experiences that I had go against the very framework of what we consider reality, uh, what the average, what consensus reality is. Um, yeah, I, I felt it was important for me to to share that kind of what people are thinking of as maybe some type of mushroom experiences. Again, not nothing against mushrooms. It's a very profound, deeply healing experience. People have cured stuttering and trauma and have deep mystical states of connection and you know, it's an entheogen, you feel connected with God, but iboga is just not better, just completely different. It's a completely different experience. It's as real as you and I talking here right now. And in these cultures, that's why it's so important that they are able to continue to grow their iboga and that it doesn't get wiped out by, you know, the West immediately. Oh my gosh, there's a cure for opiates and we got to get all the iboga out of Gabon tomorrow. Uh, and I, I think that we need to, as a culture, begin to start planting uh, iboga in the U.S. And, uh, and the government should start studying it. And at least, I mean, we have an extreme op- op- opiate crisis that's causing suffering and misery for, you know, millions of Americans and deaths and suicides and failed relationships. And it's not going to change without an initiation. And I think what we're being presented now with COVID is a collective worldwide initiation we are all seeing that we're connected. We're seeing that we're sick and we have a choice. We could you know, become like Darth Vader and move through the world even more disconnected than we already were, which is hard to picture and sounds miserable. Or we could figure out what, how are we gonna go through this collective initiation and, and, in order to heal uh, ourselves, each other, and, and the planet and our ancestral lines and all of that. And it's gonna be, it's gonna be beautiful and amazing and challenging. Uh, but I think some of us have begun this process already uh, through this, and there's been carriers of this knowledge, like like the Bawiti and other indigenous cultures that have been carrying this somehow, while all of the madness is going all all around them. And I and I really feel in this moment a deep sense of gratitude and surprise for how in the heck could you not be so infuriated infuriated that that you're still willing that they're still willing to help. I mean, for example, you were initiated into uh, sharing this medicine, and they weren't you know the people there 
How was that experience? Were they very accepting of you and, and happy that you're going to share this medicine with the world? Or, or did they, what, how was that experience? I want to explain something because I think this is really important to note in Western culture because there are a lot of people who are kind of self-initiating themselves and then just going out and serving, you know, whatever, mushrooms, 5-MeO-DMT, you know, whatever, whatever medicines. And um, in, in Buiti, it's a 10-year process, minimum. I mean, I, I say that and I also say, like, if I've ever seen, like, the true Jedis of, like, psychic abilities and the ability to see through realms and, you know, it's by far um, the Buiti. Like they just have, you know, they're the keepers of the magic. Like they're they're like true magicians, alchemists. Um, and if I was to ask, like I've, you know, I've had quite a few teachers, and of those teachers, many of them would say, you know, you could get the blessing in six years. You could get the blessing in fifteen years. Um, you know, most people, you know, what I've heard is like 10 years to be a Nima. And a Nima means someone who gives initiations because in the Buiti tradition, uh, to serve medicine is, is uh, not the aim that you go in for. You, you know, yeah, you're not trying to like start a vocation. You're not like signing up for the aboga. Uh, online course to become a become a shaman one oh one or become a whatever it's um it's a life path and it's really your path it's your you go in to choose to be a master of yourself and the first thing in your initiation whatever lineage it is you know there's different ways that it's done but ultimately you're getting your spiritual name the name of your soul you're meeting your soul you're getting really clear about what your purpose is. If that happens to be, uh, to be, uh, you know, a medicine, I mean, like my spiritual name, and I, I rarely share it, but I'll, I'll share it, is Muhe Sangana. And uh, it means uh, world bridger, alchemist, uh, the one that brings, you know, people together. And, you know, that, that kind of is within the village a archetype that you would think of for what, what we define as a shaman in our, our Western society. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but I could have went in and, you know, could have been like a musician or a painter or I don't, I don't know because I, I haven't seen other people, you know, people's journeys. I've only heard stories and it's, you know, it's very personal but um, when you start, you're going for yourself. You're going because you want to live in your most authentic self, whatever that is. Any attachment to anything is just going to set you up for a disaster. Most people go in, um, and, and the, way, the reason the Buiti go in is because it's quite honorable in society. It's, it's an advancement, an up-leveling for you to go through your initiation. And once you go through your initiation, 
you are um, invited into a special group. You're, you, you, you all of a sudden become part of a family. And so it's not like in our culture we go to the Amazon and we, drew, we go and we have an experience with ayahuasca and we're like, oh yeah, that was amazing, you know, and maybe we come back in two years and visit again. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're going into a family. So then all of a sudden you get initiated, you're in this family and then you take off and they don't hear from you for two years. The whole family's going to be like, Hey, what's going on here? You know, where's our news? We want to get the news from you. So it's a very different approach. Um, than Western society, and it doesn't come with like a fixed expectation. The only difference, like even with um, when I went to a tombs village, um, when I was serving uh, at the clinic uh, before, when I was when I was serving at the clinic, they said, you know, we we're not giving our blessing that you've graduated. We're not giving our endorsement, but we are saying you know, this is what you're doing. This is your path. We're not going to interfere with what you're already doing. They, you know, they didn't say it in some bad way, like, oh, you need to stop serving medicine. You, you need 10 more years of training or, you know, whatever. They, they saw that I was on a trajectory that was spirit-led. You know, my journey started with um, uh, basically um, when I was in the clinic in Mexico, I was so grateful to the medicine for just this profound meeting of myself that really changed my my view of my ability to love myself. And I, in gratitude, said to the medicine, you know, I'm here, I'm here to be of service. Let me know. Bring me opportunities where I can be of service to you because I want others to know themselves in this way. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, by taking the medicine, but you know, how can I, how can I be of service? And that's what, within three weeks, I was asked to facilitate the psycho-spiritual program. And I was like, well, wait a second here. I'm not a shaman. Like, I don't, you know, like I had been studying healing. I had been doing like shamanic forms of non-medicine, non-psychoactive types of, of healing work. Um, uh, not using not using medicine, I should say, uh, and um, the and I and I tuned in and I really listened and I was I was really close to the spirit of the plan. It was you know engaging and talking with me still after this this recent journey. I'd only been three weeks and I and it was like don't make such a big deal about it. It you know this is about whether this feels aligned for you or not. You know it doesn't you don't have to create a story outside of that of what it means like oh does that mean I'm now a you know shaman or whatever and of course you know I know what that means now. You know this was like 5 years ago and you know definitely had a different context and understanding of this path and this work. And so you know it's really one of those things when we're we're publicly speaking out there about planet medicines and these lineages that are you know like I love my friend Eamon who I was on his podcast recently um he said you know it's the Mount Everest of of psychedelics like uh you know iboga is the medicine that you go to last you know it's like you've done all your work you've you know, really developed yourself, you know, you're, you're a pretty high functioning individual. And then you, you step into that initiatory path. Um, but 
you know, of course, there are going to be people that are going to find it through um, Abogaine, and they, they still have a long way to go. You know, they're going to see the glimpse of, you know, their true self and their true reality, but they still have to do all that other work to get to mm-hmm. the point where they're, mm-hmm. where they're aligned with their soul and their, their mastery template for their life. Yeah. It brings me, hearing all of that brings me back to the experience I had six years ago in, uh, in Mexico after, after Iboga and having, having so much change right after. The idea for the business that I currently have came that day of the Iboga, like, like the medicine was obviously still in me, but after all of, I left that realm and it was almost like I came into a different reality. I ended up, you know, it wasn't like Aboga sent me a letter and said, here's what you're going to be doing for the next, you know, five, six years. It wasn't like that. It was uh, just a lot of synchronicities began unfolding from there. Uh, Almost like, how do I put it without sounding? I found out, I think that, I was going to say without sounding woo, uh, and uh, the the word woo, I think the term the youth, uh, the the term woo, I think comes from the word wooly, which I'm not sure if that's exactly where it comes from. W o o l y, and what wooly means is not specific, uh, kind of like not quite ambiguous, but like like you're saying something, but like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't ground in or root in, and I and I don't want it to have this effect. Um, for me, it was an initiation of sorts, but not so clear. Like I didn't have a family that that carried me right at the end. I didn't feel deeply connected with. I think I, maybe that what you had mentioned before of taking it way early. I actually, it's the first psychedelic that I took, uh, and I think it's because I was afraid that if I took something else, I would never take a boga, and I t- only even considered taking a boga because of my opiate addiction. Otherwise, I would never, I had decided, because I also have bad experiences on marijuana, or what I've labeled really bad experiences on mar- using marijuana, where like I go into time vortexes and like it seems like one second gets drawn out over three hours. I mean, it's super uncomfortable. Like my heart will beat like, boom, boom. And, I'm, and, and, and I'll be in, and again, I grew up in a crazy environment, so I would be in an unsafe situation while that is all happening. And come in and out of consciousness. So I've had bad experiences with marijuana, so I'm like, I don't want to do any psychoactive substance. So I started with the boga for the cure element, and I think it gave me that. But I also think, yeah, I was definitely receiving healing and insight that I had no idea how to integrate. And I so wish that it was legal in the United States, and I so wish that I knew about therapy and that I was working with a therapist of some kind that I could help integrate these experiences. and and I and I so wish that it wasn't something that you have to keep secret uh, from everybody. I remember my mom found out I did, and she's probably like, "You lost your soul. Now you're going to be poisoned, and God's no longer going to accept you." No, just like you know, she's you know, uh, kind of what would I think would be called a fundamentalist, uh, like born again Christian. Uh, like Bible is literally true. Like what it says in there is true, and nothing else is actually true. Just that. Um, and, uh, and I say with all respect, and my mom is really seeking to have security. She didn't have a lot of security growing up. She was born in 
you know, China and then grew up in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And then, you know, her life was very hectic when she moved to the States as a teenager. Terrible things happened to her. Terrible things happened to my grandparents where they had to leave Russia and, you know, uh, saw people get killed in front of them. They lived in Rio de Janeiro near where the City of God is. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie City of God where they're, you know, shooting kids in the street and stuff, you know. So they've seen crazy things and there's adaptations that happen. And I think people really want security. And I think a lot of people, the reason they feel so comfortable with Trump and presidency, I don't mean to go super political here, and I don't mean to be political here, I mean to be psychological. The reason that people feel psychologically comfortable with Trump being this strong man uh, is that they feel insecure and they feel scared to feel insecure. It's never been safe for them to be insecure. So they need certainty above all things. And they're willing to sell their soul for, cer for certainty. Uh, because they 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 don't trust themselves with their soul. Uh, they would rather trust the idea of this strong man. Uh, and I think a lot of the God image that I had, and I still probably have present in my mind, is this strong man, man, God, father figure in the sky. And what I what was revealed for me through Aboga is like, oh my gosh, it's so much bigger than that. And there is some element of a strong man in the sky, and there's elements of all sorts of elements that, you know, spirits of places, spirits of rivers, spirits of moments, like zeitgeist means spirit of the moment or spirit of the time. There's a spirit of this very moment that we're, that we're here. And, and to the degree that we could invoke that, uh, something very beautiful could move into this moment. Uh, and uh, yeah. When, when even invoking that, just talking about it, like, renders like my speech to stop like that flow just went whoosh. yeah when you um get to a certain frequency um it starts to shut off the language center of the brain and that's very common in um iboga where literally um you know the language center of the brain is closed down for repairs and people just start to like say a sentence and they're like they can't even like you know put something together Totally. I know that. I know exactly what you mean by that experience. Uh, I, I remember so powerfully, I, you know, we, we hear a lot of these euphemisms that may come off as woo or wooly, where it says, you know, raise your vibration or, uh, you know, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe, all of these, all of these uh, euphemisms that we hear. And I, and I have Charles Eisenstein in my head right now. It's like, well, what's wrong with, with slower vibrations like a rock, you know, like a rock, you know, rocks actually, I think a higher vibration, which is why it makes it dense, you know, but like, what about, it's not about like a high or a low, like all the vibrations are beautiful. It's like a symphony. You don't just want like, or like an orchestra. You don't just want the soprano. You want the tenor and you want the baritone. You want all of those elements. And something I remember with the boga is you could feel, feel the vibration in your body like I had never felt before. And you could hear it. Uh, I mean, you could hear the vibration uh, as well. And, uh, and it feels like that, I mean, it's, it's really hard to describe. I think that you, uh, you said that something like 5-MeO-DMT like lifts you up and out of your body or lifts you up. And then a boga is almost the exact opposite. And maybe I loved what you said yesterday when we had talked. Maybe you could talk about that experience of the vibration and, and the feeling of the body, of it not being a quote-unquote high and uh, maybe something very different than that. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, when we look at the, the universe, 
Um, and we look at, you know, this idea of uh, the chakra system, which I know is something that, you know, maybe science isn't going to necessarily evaluate. But when you start to map it into the universe and you understand the Jungian archetypes, the um, uh, kind of archetypal relationships that play out in our universe, that all exists within the solar system. And then beyond that are these higher realms, and those realms go beyond ego. So when we're taking psychedelics, we're actually traveling into these dimensional realms. And each of those dimensional realms has a seal, and those seals are basically um, how much separation is allowed in there. So the less ego you have, the higher you kind of dissolve into this, like, ultimate ocean of consciousness and and that's kind of like being one with all things and that's where 5-MeO DMT takes you and even beyond that is the void and a lot of people not everyone um is surrendered enough to go there but that is the womb of the universe and that's like death you know it's the point of creation and the point of destruction um but it's a really powerful imaginal realm because when you get there you can decide what you want to take back with you, you know, so you can restructure yourself from that place because it's a complete, you know, soul car wash, rip off the veil, rip off all the pieces and put them back together again. And then when we go into the root, when we go down, we're really, you know, going into the ancestral realms and all these different realms of density and, um, that's really where the aboga is taking us. Um, it's it's taking us into um, our past, although it, it, it encapsulates everything. It encapsulates the past, the present, the future, all of it. But, but it's really, um, most importantly, getting us grounded within ourselves, getting us into that deep understanding of that inner working through going into the depth, through the route of the depth. Um, we're able to have a deeper understanding. And so for me, like I've really come to this deep understanding of all the darkness, all the boogeyman, all the scary things that, you know, scared me when I was a child. They don't scare me like they did then because I see it's all love in Halloween costume that, you know, the dark, the dark uh, entities that exist are the janitors of the universe. You know, when we talk about entropy, you know, they're the forces of entropy that are cleaning up the energy that's no longer in alignment with life so that um, new life can be created. And in, in a lot of modern psychology right now, it talks about this isn't just experiences on Iboga that are confirming this, you know, the Jungian shadow and the idea that uh, when you have nightmares, uh, that you uh, essentially, the idea is, is to be with the nightmare uh, not attack it or whatever, figure out what the nightmare is trying to show you. The nightmares, you know, if you ever think about it, what ta- what dreams do you remember most when you wake up from the night? Uh, the dreams you remember most are oftentimes the nightmares. They have a lot to teach you about, like, how you're cleansing uh, or, or where you're going astray, uh, where you're going on the wrong path, essentially. They're, you know, very large guardrails to keep you from going over the cliff to a place where you're not trying to go. Maybe you could look at it as your soul putting on a mask to go, boo, wait, you know, don't go this way. Or you're, you're lo- to look at it in a different way. Uh, I actually have, I've been experimenting, I've been 
I, I do a lot of dream work, like lucid dream. Like that's kind of one of my passions right now, more than it's ever been, is really diving into the realm of lucid dreaming. Uh, essentially, becoming aware that I'm dreaming within a dream, and then being able to work within that dream realm. Very similar. It feels a lot. It feels a, as real as this realm. And uh, the last three nights, uh, in preparation for this call, actually this podcast, I've had a lucid dream every night for the last three nights. And last night's lucid dream was uh, unusual for me. And I'm not a, a, a lucid dream expert by any means. There's people that have had thousands of lucid dreams. Uh, I might have had a dozen or so, uh, maybe, more, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, but I had a dream last night that I remember getting this letter in a post office. It's, it's completely empty. And it's written in this like hieroglyphs. And it's written, you said, about a different name. And it was initially labeled to me, and I open it, and it's written in this language that I don't understand by uh, some very powerful being. And my name was different in it, but I couldn't even read the name. And I go, wow, I'm for sure lucid dreaming. You know, here's my ego going, you know, awaken the dream. That's the idea of, of being awake in a dream is there's an element of you that's, that's aware. Your waking reality, egoic self, is now in this realm, integrating the unconscious, which is the dream, into the ego. It's taking that back from the womb back into waking reality. Um, and it's working with it. Instead of passively having a dream and interpreting it, I'm actively working in the dream uh, with my waking reality in the, the, the unconscious that's around me. And so I, I say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm in a lucid dream. This is incredible. Uh, you know, my third one in the last three days, I know my body is asleep in bed, you know. And I go, okay, and I do a, what's called a reality check, which I plug my nose and I try to breathe. And normally, if you're lucid dreaming and you plug your nose and breathe, you could breathe, you know? And, uh, and so I plug my nose to breathe, but I can't breathe. And I'm like, what the heck? I know this is a lucid dream. Like, I, this is clearly a lucid dream. And I, go to, and I go, another test is you take your finger and push it through the palm of your hand because it's not dense reality. And normally, your finger will go right through and uh, won't do it. And so then I go to jump, because if you jump in a lucid dream, you could oftentimes fly, or even if you don't fly, you kind of float in a weird way. I jump, just jump up, right back down, as though I'm in totally dense reality. And I go, this is crazy. I know I'm in a lucid dream, but all my dream tests aren't working. And then in the guy who's standing next to me, he has a, 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 a noose, like, you know, like in, uh, in, his, in, his, in his box. And I'm like, maybe I could hang myself. And like, that'll show me I'm a lucid dream. I'm like, I do not have enough faith that this is a lucid dream to hang myself. But anyways, uh, here I am in this, luc in this lucid dream, just kind of like humbled by the dream because the quote unquote rules and techniques of lucid dreaming are not working within this lucid dream. That, that dream realm is like, nope. And uh, yeah, I just find that I, I, I find that I feel so comfortable. I feel comforted by the mystery where I think a lot of people, they're so scared of the mystery. They're scared that the mystery uh, harbors uh, uh, terrible things about them. They, feel, they maybe feel at their core that their soul is not pure or that they're innately bad. I, I, I also harbored this belief for a long time and still do at, at times. In one lucid dream a few nights ago, I also wanted to meet, maybe this was a couple weeks ago, I wanted to meet my soul in the lucid dream because I wanted to see my soul and meet this, my soul. So the minute I became lucid, 
I say, I want to meet my yell out to the dream. I want to meet my soul. And then all of a sudden, like darkness and like clouds. And I'm like, oh, no, like my soul's going to be so ugly. I can't look at it. Oh, no. And all of a sudden, out of the darkness, a little light comes down, like a little spotlight on a stage. And it's a little puppy, like this little tiny puppy. And I go, ah, that can't be my soul. And I totally ignore the puppy and like try to go off flying and all that stuff. And I, and I end up losing lucidity. But I, I, I think why I'm telling this story is that I really want to encourage people to really explore the mysteries of life. I think that's why we're here. And uh, yeah, Trisha, is there anything else that you want to touch up on before we close? I know we're coming to the end of the episode. Well, I just want to say that I love your puppy dream. And when you said the little puppy, I just look at your face and you just have the most saintly eyes. And I could see like you definitely being connected to a little beautiful, loving creature, you know, and I think of the dogs as, um, you know, connected to Sirius, the Dogon planet, Canis Major. So, yeah. you know, because that's the Dogons being the tribe that, that um, in Africa that say that they're connected to, to that. So, um, and by the way, many people believe that the Sphinx is actually used to be a combination of Anubis, which is the dog, and the lion coming together because it was the meeting of the the Leo, which is our sun, and the um, planet Sirius, which uh, the Sirius is, I think it's like 10 times, but don't quote me, um, hotter than our sun, and it goes right through the sun portal and um, right on that that time in, um, I think it's August 8th, it's like the 8-8, it's like a time frame. It's like a, a couple weeks within there, but the pinnacle of it is is August 8th. So that's a really cool spirit animal to have and um, just really grateful for this conversation. And I mean, there's so much more I could say just really about this path and, you know, doing it with honor and respect. And um, that's, you know, really what I live for. And I'm really grateful um, that we got to jam together. It was so fun. It's been a really good time. I wanted to know uh, if people are probably thinking, wait, 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 don't end the episode. Wait, where, where do I, if I have, if I want to experience a boga, how do I connect with you, Trisha? And are you taking, are you, do, can people still work with you? And how would they connect with you? And then other people might be getting this forwarded to them by someone that knows that they struggle with addiction. And do you know of any good clinics uh, that maybe they could reach out to uh, until it, of course, becomes legal in the United States, if that ever happens. Um, so we, um, I'm still, you know, I do retreats. Of course, a lot of things are shut down right now, and I don't have specifics. Um, I have some things listed on my website, psychedelicjourneys.com. And, you know, of course, you can submit an inquiry of one of the retreats you're interested in and get put on the list and we'll notify everyone once uh, we know more exact dates. But I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, there's going to be one in the summer because I see all this stuff, like having a really nice eye of the storm. But then I think um, we're probably going to get another wave in fall. So I, I don't want to say I don't know what's going to be um, going on yet. Um, I'm just getting clear, which I'm really fortunate to have, you know, the guidance of the medicine and the ancestors in these circumstances. Um, as far as for people with addiction, um, I really, you know, there's, 
this could be a whole nother podcast in itself. There's been so many great clinics that have shut down and I don't even know what's operationing, you know, op- in operation now because of um, the coronavirus. I have a lot of respect for dear brother of mine, Jonathan Dickinson, who founded the Gita Global Abogaine um, Alliance. I think it's Global Abogaine Therapy Alliance. Um, he's no longer running conferences, but he's a great person to connect to who's really plugged into who the high integrity um, clinics are that are currently in operation. Um, yeah, and I think that's really it right now. I mean, there's a couple of people I know, a guy in um, South Africa. I don't know if he's still working with addiction, um, but I would just say check with check with Jonathan um, hopefully he's not mad at me if a million people call him. I'm sure he'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Yeah, I, I wish I knew of somebody too with the addiction. You would think I would know someone that works with it. It's so much work uh, to, do, to do that work. So, hey, thank you, Trisha. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the work you're doing and the courage that, you're, uh, the courage that you have to keep pursuing it in this place and time in this era that we're in. Thank you, Zach. Just so honored and really excited for all the magic you're weaving in the world. And congratulations on your property. Am I allowed to say that in Maui? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Big Big Island. Big Island. Big Island. Island. It's beautiful. You're trying to get me at Maui. It's beautiful. (laughs) Much love. Thank you so much. Take care, Trisha. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening, and please follow us to hear future episodes where we discuss topics such as alternative states of consciousness achieved through dance, intention, and shamanic practices, sacred economics, dream work, trauma healing, building community, permaculture, healthy and compassionate living and eating practices, somatic and alternative healing modalities, politics, psychology, mythology, and more. Our work is focused on the liberation of spirit, a return to the sacred, which is a constant collective inquiry. We aim both in person and on this podcast to plant and water the seeds of liberation from economic inequality, trauma, systemic conditioning, addiction, loss of soul, loss of meaning, hopelessness, helplessness, isolation, shame, nightmares, guilt, and a return to glimpses of your birthright, of dignity, joy, community, collaboration, equality, and constantly beautifying new world where you are not alone. And always, if you're ever in the Salt Lake City area, come join us for yoga, dance, or in the garden. A community of beautiful souls are here to welcome you. We gather in community Wednesday, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3 p.m. And we have a vegan brunch or vegan dinner after every event. Our gatherings are all ages and are of no religious affiliation. We look forward to seeing you. Thank you.